We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio teaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. We're in the middle of a series called Created for Glory, Redeemed by Grace. And today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called God's Design for Men. Let's open our hearts to God's Word. We're in the second message of a series called Created for Glory, Redeemed by Grace. And as we uh, talked about last week, uh, God has created us to reveal His glory through our lives. Sadly, we chose to worship the creature rather than the Creator. That's Romans chapter 1, sin, corruption entered the world. But God's heart is that we be redeemed by grace and that we live for His glory as new creatures in Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to begin to look at various topics through that lens. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of God's design for men. Now a great question today, um, not only here, but throughout the nation we live in, the culture we live in. What are men supposed to be? What are they supposed to do? What is a good man? Well, I want you to think I read this, I kind of chuckled at this. I found something that was written in the um, New York Times and said this, just kind of underscoring this question. It said, guys are in trouble. Manhood, once an opportunity for achievement, now seems like a problem to be overcome. Plato, St. Francis, Leonardo da Vinci, Vince Lombardi, you don't find guys of that caliber today. What you find is a terrible gender anxiety, guys trying to be Mr. Right, the man who can bake a cherry pie, go shoot skeet, come back, toss a salad, converse easily about intimate matters, cry if need be, laugh, hug, be vulnerable, perform passionately that night, and the next day go off and lift them bales under the barge and tote it. Then he says, being perfect is a terrible way to have to spend your life, and guys are not equipped for it anyways. It is like a bear riding a bicycle. He can be trained to do it for short periods, but he would rather be in the woods doing what bears do there. (laughs) That's not the text I'm preaching from today. But I think it does underscore the confusion in our culture about what does it mean to be a man. And many people, even in that thing, would have various views within our culture about, well, it's kind of like this, or it's kind of like this, but no, we don't like that, so it's got to be like this, but it couldn't be that. And our culture is very confused about what it means to be a man. Now... Fortunately, God's word is not confused, and into our confusion, Jesus Christ steps into uh, this ambiguity and brings us grace. Amen? As I said last week, uh, this uh, series that we're in, I was going to be talking about a number of topics based on a creation for glory redeemed by grace. Um, I mentioned the topic of equality, that before the cross, men and women are equal, but they are not the same. That men and women are uniquely created by God, and that the cross is what leads us to redemption, to be new creatures in Christ. It doesn't mean that we lose our gender at the cross. It doesn't mean that we lose our 
purpose that we were created for. It just means that because of the cross, we're free to live for the glory of God. And that's what we're going to look at in terms of men. Uh, We're going to look at three pictures from God's word on uh, the topic of God's design for men in light of creation and grace. Uh, Let's open our Bibles together to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. I'm going to be going through a number of passages and reading quickly. Now, this text here, we actually looked at it earlier this year as we were going through the book of Nehemiah. But at this state in the people of God in redemptive history, uh, the nation had fallen to the Babylonians, and yet God in his love and in restoration brought the people back to uh, Jerusalem to begin to worship again. And yet the walls were torn down. The nation was a subject to all kinds of problems. And then God sent a man named Nehemiah to build a wall. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. Clearly you'll see here in the text that not everybody was excited about the wall being rebuilt. Verse 6 says, So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. And in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Now, not an external problem, but an internal problem. There is too much rubble. Sometimes that sounds like our families. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Stop building. Stop causing this issue. Let's just cooperate. Let's just get along with the culture. Verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the open spaces, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. I'm going to give you the first point right away. Men are created to bring protection, give grace through strength. God has given men a created purpose And God has given men a created design to serve and to care just as he has to women, which we'll discuss uh, next time. But on this topic of strength, I was looking at 1 John 2.14, which John wrote to uh, the believers. He said, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Then later, earlier in, in the God's word, Joshua 1.9, God told Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God wants men to be strong. 
God wants men to use their strength to give grace to his people. Now, I want to pause here, and I want to give a word uh, to the women that are listening to me right now. And uh, sisters in the Lord, I don't want you to come to this passage and be like, oh, sweet, nothing for me this week. I'll just chill, I'll just whatever. God's heart for you is to be a support to men and to pray for men. And and next time, it'll be the reverse. It'll be men praying for uh, the women in our lives. Here's the other thing I'll say. As we go through this study, especially this week and the next time, I don't want you to look at what is said about men and say, well, that's a thing only for men, especially in this topic of strength. Uh, Proverbs 31, 17 says that women are to be strong. It's not meant to be exclusive. Here's the difference. Men have a particular responsibility related to strength that women do not have. And the reverse will also be true. There's responsibilities that God has given women that men can also have a capacity to do but is not their primary responsibility. And I hope we can just kind of have that as a part of our conversation. Now back to this topic of strength. It's grieved me uh, this week to see multiple examples in the media of men who have abused their strength. Many of us know of many examples in our own lives, both men and women are aware of men in our lives that have misused their strength in any number of ways. Let me give you three examples, three ways that men fail to use their strength to bring grace. Here's the first one, selfish strength. Think of Samson. Here's a man who is given unusual strength and capacity, and yet he used his strength not to be a blessing to the people of God, as he should have, but to follow his lustful, selfish desires. Selfish strength, that's something we as men do, use our strength for selfish purposes. Here's another one, fleshly strength. I think of Moses, before he delivered the people from Egypt, you might remember back to when he was much younger, and when he looked out and saw uh, a Hebrew being uh, abused by an Egyptian, he stepped in and he killed the Egyptian, and he tried to, in his own strength, bring deliverance. And where did that go? Failure. Ended up with him on the run. And sometimes we as men can use our strength, and I don't just mean physical strength, I mean strength across the board, mental, physical, emotional strength, to hurt and to try to accomplish things in our strength instead of the power of God. Hi, this is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. Did you know that these Meeting with God messages actually come from sermons given at our church home, Vertical Church Columbus? You know, in addition to hearing God's word proclaimed every week, you'll find a warm, loving church family of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus, Ohio, but are not currently connected to a church home, we'd love to invite you to visit us at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus near the intersection of 315 and Henderson Road. Here's the third way we fail to use our strength the right way. It's just the flat-out failing strength. Look back here in the text, verse 10. It says, And in Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. It's failing. How many times do we as men just simply run out of strength? 
It's not that I don't want to do the right thing with my strength. It's not the fact that I'm too tired. It's just that I'm tired. I, I, I've tried and I've pushed and I've tried and I've, I've tried to do what God's called me to do and I've done everything I can, but I, I get to a point where my strength just simply fails. And that's the place where they were right here in Nehemiah. Now, thankfully, when we come to this topic of strength, I think of Ephesians chapter 6, 10, which says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Listen, the greatest show of strength ever in human history was Jesus Christ going to the cross in the strength of the Spirit and sacrificing his life for humanity. How do we be strong? How do we be strong? Well, right here in the text, three ways we can be strong. First, strong men choose to face their fears, not run. Men, I would tell you, I don't know what causes fear in your hearts. You know, men, we, we have a unique way of not wanting to talk about our fears. It's not manly to talk about your fears. Right? We don't have fears. Maybe a little discomfort, but no fears. The truth of the matter is men do have fears. Fears like, will I be able to, as in the text here, will I be able, will I be able uh, in the day when my strength is challenged, will I be able to withstand the enemy or the challenge? Will I be strong enough to make a difference? Even the fear of, will I be able to use my strength in a godly way? Or will I end up doing what a previous generation did, what my father or my grandfather or my neighbor did with his strength and hurt people? And so we are tempted to pull back in our strength and not to use it as God has called us to. Sometimes the burdens overwhelming, we're afraid. Sometimes the enemy seems bigger. And though we wouldn't say it, in our hearts, we're afraid. And yet to that, God speaks to us from 2 Timothy chapter 1 where he said, Paul told Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and you might say sound judgment or self-control. God's spirit working through us. God's spirit giving us the ability to measure our strength and to use our strength for blessing and not for hurting. I will tell you perhaps the greatest need in our generation is for strong men operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, first, strong men choose to face their fears. Second of all, strong men choose to remember the Lord. That's what Nehemiah says here in this first picture of a godly man or a godly men. He says, remember the Lord. Men fail in their strength when they fail to remember God. Strong men choose to face their fears. Strong men remember the Lord. And finally, strong men fight for their families. Fight Key word is fight. Fight for their families and they do it in a spirit of love. Now the key word is to fight for your family, not fight your family. How many times have I used my energy? How many times have we used our energy not to fight for our families, but to fight our families? 
Listen, God can give us strength. And I want to say this. Many of us, as we're hearing this, we might be thinking in, in our heart of hearts and, and looking back over, the, over our lives and saying, a pastor, right now I'm ashamed that you even brought up this topic because as I look back over my life, I think of how many times my strength has failed, how many times I have selfishly used my strength, or how many times I have um, fleshly tried to accomplish God's work but in my own strength, not under his power. But here's what I want to tell you. This is the beauty of the gospel, is that God's spirit can work in us, that, that Jesus Christ came to redeem us as men and to make us men that can live for his glory, that can be redeemed from the failures and the ways we've used our strength and can be reborn and renewed and remade to be the men that God has called us. Don't ever use the past as an excuse for the future because Jesus Christ can stop the past dead in its tracks. Doesn't remove all the consequences necessarily, but it can make it a brand new, entirely different future. Let me give you the second picture the second way that God has designed men. Men are created to step forward into chaos and ambiguity, give grace through leadership. Now, most of us, when we think of chaos and ambiguity, it sounds like two great words to describe our culture today. Amen? But I want you to think about this. Chaos and ambiguity, those were not things that particularly came directly from the fall. Genesis 2.15 tells us that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is before Eve comes on the scene. Now, there's actually two accounts of creation. If you go back to chapter 1, which actually is told another aspect of the creation story, and now both of them are together a little bit later, it says that God blessed them, Genesis 1, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here's the key word, subdue it. You're like, subdue it? Subdue what? Isn't this like the perfect environment? Like the Garden of Eden? I remember one pastor said, I remember he was talking about this text, and he talked about the Hebrew word here, subdue, which you could translate, it's a strong word. It means to uh, knock it into shape. Knock it into shape. And God had created the world not as a perfect, you know, nicely, just like all my neighbors, nicely manicured yard that is perfectly set, ready to sell their house. It's so nice. I wish, Listen, God didn't create the world like that. God created it with some rough edges. And he told men in particular, but men and women together in the sense that they partner together to knock it into shape, make something out of it. And when you combine uh, what God did in creation before sin got there, and then what God has done since then, certainly the opportunities, certainly the opportunities uh, to step into chaos and ambiguity have certainly multiplied since sin came in the world. We all agree on that, right? But God has called men to step into chaos and ambiguity and to bring peace and order through leadership. God's purpose for men is not to be the cause of chaos, physical or relational, or to be the cause of spiritual ambiguity, morally or spiritually. 
Nor does God want men to be passive observers of chaos or ambiguity. Rather, throughout Scripture, God calls men to step into chaos and ambiguity and lead. God calls men to lead sacrificially. God calls men to lead honorably. But God calls men to lead. Okay, and if, if you're a man here and you're thinking, eh, eh, not really into that whole leadership thing. I'm not into the whole sacrificial, honorable leader thing. Well, God's message to you today is a four-letter word, lead, and lead well. Now, there's two ways we can respond. The first way is to do what Adam did when he stepped into chaos and ambiguity. Genesis chapter 3 tells us, that after they had sinned in the garden, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Honey, honey, behind this tree, behind this tree, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the, who did he call to? The man. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden. And I was, I don't know, I was afraid. And because I was naked and I, I hid myself. God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? It's very interesting what the man says next. In my text, in the Hebrew, it says that Adam said, you know, God, you're right. I've completely sinned. I completely failed you, and I acknowledge my sin. Is that what's in the text? No. What he said is, oh, the, the woman that you gave me, she must have been... I don't know. She must not have been as perfect as you thought she was. The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I, I closed my eyes, and I, did, I just ate it. I can't believe it. I just ate it. Now, let me step back for a second. What was the first thing that men are called to do? They're called to protect through their strength. Now, let me tell you something that's not in the text, but should have happened in the text. When we were going through this discussion at the beginning of chapter 3 where this serpent, Satan incarnate if you will, is deceiving and tempting Eve, it says that Adam was with her. He wasn't busy doing other things. It says that this serpent, Satan, began to engage her about whether it was wrong or not to eat the fruit. Now Adam knew the truth. Adam knew exactly what he should have done. But here's what Adam should have said. Adam should have looked the serpent in the eye, however many eyes he had, looked him in the eye and said, listen, I am not going to let you bring death into the world. I'm not going to sit here passively as you bait my wife into sin. But on the topic of death, I would be happy to bring death into the world to a new thing I heard about called snake hunting. <laughs> Unless you get your ugly, slimy serpentness Away from my wife and out of my garden. Can I get an amen on that? That's what he should have done. But he didn't do it. Instead, Adam hid. He stepped back. He was passive. He blame shifted more. And I want to give you a contrast to that. Here's the second picture of what a godly man should be. Why don't you turn to Exodus 32, verse 7. This is the story of another pivotal, chaotic time. And the people of God, Moses had led the nation out of Egypt. They were going through the Sinai Peninsula, and God was giving them the law. Moses had gone up on the mountain, had spent an extended period of time with 
uh, God, and the people um, didn't know what happened to Moses, and they decided they would um, create a God in their own image, exactly what we just saw in Romans chapter 1 last week. And so into this, uh, verse 7, chapter 32, verse 7, it says that the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, look up, look up here. Most dudes at this point would have been like, Moses had to put up with all their stuff. He was sick of them too. And here, here God is basically saying, listen, I'm going to rearrange the whole thing. I'm going to make it Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. I'm going to start all over from you. You don't have to deal with these people anymore. Now, how many guys would have said, sweet? A lot of us would have said, praise God. Awesome. It's not what Moses did. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. We hope you were encouraged in your own relationship with Jesus Christ today. If you would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Aarons, please subscribe to our Vertical Church Columbus podcast. There you will find an extensive collection of sermons from Vertical Church worship services and other unique content from Pastor Luke, which will enrich your faith and point you to Christ. You can find the podcast by searching Vertical Church Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.